Good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome to our Ash Wednesday service. We stand on the shoulders of um, hundreds of years of tradition as we worship with our church worldwide, uh, church universal, as we celebrate Ash Wednesday, beginning of Lent. I want to invite us to, uh, to try something new, something that we don't typically do. I want to invite you into a sacred practice uh, that the Church Universal uh, for many years has done, which is the sign of the cross, okay? I know it's different. I know it's unique. It's not um, uh, something that we typically practice, but I want to invite us to try it, okay? All our young people and kids, we want all of you to, to take part in this, okay? The sign of the cross, okay? Really important that you take three fingers touching signifying the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then your two fingers here signify that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it also signifies that we are both body and spirit. Okay? And then, typically, the church universal does the sign of the cross, which is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now... They also do, and I like this, they do, God be in my head, in my heart, God be in my weaknesses, and in my strength. So weakness is your left side, my strength, your right side. Now, if you're left-handed, you can do the reverse. God be in my head, in my heart, in my weaknesses, which is your right side, if you're left-handed, and my strength, which is your left side. So, or you can find other verses of Scripture all through Lent, that you can use as practice, that physically remind you as you do it. It reminds you of God, of Christ, of the finished work. For example, you can say, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's a wonderful reminder, okay? Um, and on and on. You can, there might be some other scripture verses that God brings to mind that you may want to use. But I invite you during this Lenten season to use this as a practice. I'll be using this in our worship times in the next um, weeks as we make our way towards Good Friday and Easter. So welcome to this service um, of, of Ash Wednesday. Let me read this short prayer for you. Lord, in this digital place, we are still in your space. We are grateful for your welcome that you know us, you care for us, and ultimately you save us. So we invite your presence. Be among us. Let this not be just empty words, but let it be filled with your spirit, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good evening, my good friends in Christ, in case you didn't hear me say that. It's good to be with you this evening. You know, when I was growing up in the Midwest, um, Ash Wednesday and Lent were strictly Catholic things. And we Protestants looked upon them with some mistrust and a lot of ignorance. And many years later, when I began to follow Christ... I was in the Methodist Church, and I was surprised and eventually very pleased to see that the Methodists practiced Ash Wednesday and Lent. 
And today I'm really happy to see that many evangelical churches, especially those with lots of young adults, have enthusiastically embraced the observance of Ash Wednesday and the practices of Lent. So what is Lent? Not all of us are familiar with it, and so I thought I'd take a minute uh, tonight to just say a few words about it. It's a liturgical season of the church. Um, it's a period of that really technically lasts 46 days, but Sundays are not counted because they are considered celebrations of the resurrection. Each Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. I love that. So subtract those six Sundays from the 46 days, and you have 40 days. And of course, 40 uh, days is a significant time period in the Bible, um, especially as the time that Jesus spent in the desert uh, being tempted by the devil before he began his ministry. So Lent is described in various ways. It's described as a period of self-examination and penitence. It's also described as a period of self-denial where we might uh, remove a habit, especially a habit that we feel is getting between me and God, something that's maybe buffering my openness to God. And it's also described as a time of self-discipline because we may um, add practices to our daily rhythms that are special for Lent and that will, they're intended to open our heart up more to God. So those are um, all different ways that Lent is uh, described. And so many of us then commit to some of these practices or actions for the season, whether it's giving up sweets, and believe me, sweets can get in the way of God sometimes. I'll testify to that. Or being in scripture daily, or journaling a daily examine of our heart um, in every day. And unfortunately, this can often get mixed up with our own self-improvement efforts. Like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, or I'm going to start an exercise regime, regime. Or we think, I'll do it all. And then it becomes um, a turn-my-life-around project, and it's no longer Lent. And we so often fail. So those frequent failures often lead us to ask, why should I even try? So this year, I just want to propose something a little different, a slightly different focus, a focus on the question, am I ready for Easter? Let's take a minute to think about that question and how you might respond to it. Initially, I responded, well, you bet. I am more than ready for Easter. After this season of disease and deaths and isolation and restrictions, I'm definitely ready for the joy and celebration of Easter. But on further reflection, and I think I need to thank the Holy Spirit for this thought, um, I realized, but to get to Easter, I have to go through Good Friday. And then the question changes to, am I ready for Good Friday? That's a very different question. Am I ready not for rejoicing at the empty tomb, but for standing at the cross and watching Jesus die for my sins? Now I know that Jesus does not die again every Good Friday, and that he died once and for all. But if I'm to fully rejoice in the glory of Easter, 
I think I need to prepare myself for Good Friday first. And what would that mean? What would that look like to prepare for Good Friday? Theologically, it means to be aware of my sin and my need for salvation. Personally, I think it means to take a clear and honest look at my life, both my past, my present, and and maybe my future trajectory as I'm currently living, and ask, is this a life that is pleasing to God, that brings glory to God? Now, this is not something we do very often because it makes us a little uncomfortable or worse. We might feel guilty and not want to dwell on those things. We think, why dwell on what's in the past? And besides, God has already forgiven me for all that. All of that's true. Some of us may think of Romans 7, that very painful chapter in which Paul recounts his own sinfulness and his struggles and ending by saying, what a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, the next verse is actually an Easter celebration verse. But I think that to claim it with the crazy joy it deserves, we need to do our own Romans 7. We need to do Lent and be ready for Good Friday. So we've got six weeks to wrap our minds around that. And yes, it will probably involve self-examination, self-denial, and self-discipline. But now those things won't just be Lenten traditions. They will be acts of people, us, who are desperate to rejoice in the fullness of Easter with the deepest gratitude possible for being pulled out of the quicksand of our own failures and with that unexpected hope in the future so we can say with Paul, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we'll be ready for Easter. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we come to you with a desire to be more completely yours. Some days it's a tiny desire, like a barely glowing ember. But other days it's like a burning bush in the desert. We ask that you would take this desire of ours, whatever its size, and grow it. Grow it over the next six weeks so that it propels us forward toward you. That may look like self-examination or self-denial or self-discipline or something else entirely. We really don't care as long as we end up closer to you. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful There's a love for
He took my sin and my sorrows. He made them His very own. And He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Singing how marvelous And my song shall ever be Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior If there's a love for me And with the ransomed in glory His face I at last shall see. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. Oh, singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. Sing that one more time, come on. Say how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Singing how marvelous. This scripture reading comes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and verses 12 through 17. Here's what we read. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room, and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep 
between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the New Testament from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonment, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech, and in the power of God. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I
I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, still be my vision, O ruler of join me in a responsive prayer. I'll read the parts in green and you'll respond in the parts in red. And although you're muted, feel free to call out your response. Cry, God will answer. If you do away with the yoke, the clenched fist, the wicked word, if you give your bread to the hungry, and relief to the oppressed. Call, and the Lord will say, I am here. Your light will rise in the darkness, and your shadows become like noon. The Lord will always guide you, giving you relief in desert places. Cry, and God will answer. Call, and the Lord will say, I am here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Confession can be like a shower for the soul. I will read a series of statements, and I invite you in, to engage in however you feel led to. We will finish this time of confession with two minutes of silence. Father, I confess I am disappointed with. Father, I confess I am angry about. Father, I confess I have not made amends for my. Father, I confess that I don't love my enemies. Father, I confess that I haven't given myself or others grace to make mistakes. Father, I confess that I have put other things above you. We're gonna go into our two minutes and just let the Father lead you with this statement of, Father, 
I confess. Although you are still muted, would you please join us in this responsive prayer? Heavenly Father, have your way in us so that we might see what is truly important. Lord, we give you our resentment and our grudges. We know that our spirit has not been that of Christ. We have sown seeds of hate, bitterness, and resentment. Lord, have mercy. We have been disobedient and ungrateful. Lord, have mercy. We have listened to the powers of darkness. Lord, have mercy. We have missed or neglected opportunities to share your love. Lord, have mercy. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, the suffering and humble servant. Forgive us, we pray, and renew in us his power. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, I've forgotten the words that you have spoken, promises that burn within my heart. I've now grown dim With a doubting heart I follow The paths of earthly wisdom Forgive me for my unbelief Renew the fire again Lord have mercy 
mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. built an altar where I've worshipped things of man I have taken journeys that have drawn me far from you now I am returning to your mercies ever flowing the river of pardon my transgressions and to help me love you again Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy on me, oh Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. forever shining like a beacon in the night Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord have mercy on me oh Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. in our service tonight where we're going to apply the ashes to our foreheads. And if you wanted to participate in this and were not able to pick up a container of ashes from Hillside or from one of the locations that we had had um, spread out, um, I want to suggest that just a little bit of dirt will do the same. 
So if you have a house plant or just go outside and grab a little dirt, it's the same idea. So ashes in the Old Testament were a sign of repentance, as when Job, in that famous, famous statement toward the end of the whole book, he said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ashes were also a sign of grief, as in the story of Tamar in Genesis 38. That's uh, lots of grief in that story. So the early church continued to use ashes as an expression of repentance and sorrow for our sin. Traditionally, the ashes that we use are from the burning of the palm branches used on Palm Sunday the year before, as is the case with the ashes supplied by Hillside. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now we're going to, um, I'm going to explain how this is going to work tonight, because I have some ashes here, and hopefully you have some or some nice dirt um, at home to use. Uh, I'll show you how we apply them, and um, you can just watch. If you're alone, you'll apply them to yourself. If you're with others, um, you may have one person do it, or you may take turns um, applying the ashes to each other. And it's um, traditional to say something as you do that, and one of the things that is often said is repent and believe in the gospel. So... Um, also, when it is time to, for you to apply the ashes, I'll, I'll suggest that you switch to gallery view. And once we do that, um, you'll be in the closing moments of our service tonight. And so that will be the time for you to apply the ashes, however you choose to do that. And then we will um, close the service in silence tonight. So this is... Um, Normally, ashes are applied with the thumb, and by making the sign of the cross, like that. And we're not used to doing it, so it's a little awkward, but um, it's, um, it's the idea. This is what we're doing here, is repenting. So, now may our almighty and merciful God, who desires not the death of a sinner, but rather our repentance and return to him. May he forgive our sins and restore us to newness of life through the blood of Jesus. And also in the assurance of God's forgiveness, we may remove the ashes at any time. All right, and now it's time for you to apply the ashes. <laughs> 